Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in. Go to Genesis 1. If you can't find that, you shouldn't be here. <laughs> This is such a well-known little uh, passage we're going to read, but it's worth our reading it again anyway. Genesis 1 verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man, mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over creation. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. I want to talk to you today about self-image, about your self-image. Everyone has a self-image. Part of the problems with the writing on our streets is that we have a self-image crisis in our country, in our world. People don't know who they are, because it's impossible to know who you are outside of Christ. I don't say that to to uh, say something that is uh, uh, a churchified kind of statement that we all amen but don't understand. I want you to deeply understand as our world doesn't and we must in the church that to have a right image of self, you have to have a relationship with the God that created you in the first place. Because in the beginning, everyone came out of the image of God. God has a self-image. And out of God's self-image, he created mankind. He said, let's create people in our own image. So God has an image of himself. We think of self-image as attached to people. But God has a self-image. So we are created like God. We are like God and God is like us. We can all participate in what is called theologically the communicable attributes of God. Not all attributes of God are communicable. Some are, and those that are, and those that we can track and are aware of, we possess as people. As Christians, we possess them in a much more animated, obvious, expressive way than do people that don't know Christ. Because God is omniscient, that is all-knowing, we therefore as human beings, have the power to reason and to think and to have knowledge and understanding and wisdom. That doesn't happen just because we're people. It happens because we're people created in God's self-image. And part of God's self is that He is all-knowing. Therefore, we as humans are empowered to know stuff. That comes from the image of God. If God was not omniscient and all-knowing, we would have been created with that lacking in our self-image, in our ability, in our giftedness as human beings. Of course, that ability to know and to reason has so been misused because the other parts of our self-image that are attached to God have been lost. We are defined by our zip code and by our parentage and by our socio-economic bracket. We're defined by gender. We're defined by class. We're defined by culture. We're defined by many things that, that conspire to warp our image of who God intended us to be. So, so we have generations that have been born continually that are battling to get back to zero. 
get back to the basics of, of who they were created to be. And you'll never know that unless you know the image that you were created in. We were all created to a degree in the image of our parents, but our parents is not the image we came from. And yet our parents are the ones that are most influential, I suppose, in shaping the image that we have as young people as we grow. But if our parents do not know Christ, then they also are flying blind in trying to shape us, in getting us to understand our true image. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Therefore, we have power. We don't have power because we have power. We have power because the image in which we are created was an all-powerful and all-knowing image. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. And because God is omnipresent, and because omnipresence is a communicable attribute of God, we therefore are present in this room today. We're not present everywhere at once because we are not God. But the fact that we're able to be here today and we have presence and an awareness of presence and an awareness of each other's presence, that is an attribute of God that we have been given because we were created in His image. God transcends space and time and so we too can be self-transcendent. I don't mean bodily, but I mean mentally. One day, one day there's nothing to suggest we will not be capable of bodily transcendence when we have our new eternal heavenly bodies that we are able to move through space and time in a different way to we now do. That we will not be dependent on getting on an aeroplane. Perhaps there's enough in scriptures to suggest, and I taught it when I did this series on heaven, that we will not be bound by space and time in the same way that we are now. But in the self-image of God that we're created in, we are able to transcend space and time mentally. We can go to the past and we can reflect. We can analyze the present and we can predict the future. Those abilities that you have as a person came from God. It is a fallen, lost quality and a misunderstood ability in much of the planet. But the fact that we can move through time in our minds mentally is an expression of an attribute of God that we were given when we were born, when we were created. So we all have a share, we all have something of the expression of the attributes of God. Now the problem for us all in humanity, as I said earlier, is that unless we know Christ, we can never truly know who we are. Colossians 1.15 says the Son, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Therefore, Outside of Christ, it's impossible to know who you are because if in Him all things were made and all things are made for Him and by Him, if you are one of the things and I am one of the things He has made and we are detached relationally from Him who made us all, then we cannot know our true person or our true identity or our true purpose for being on the planet. In Him and through Him and for Him, all things were made and yet most of the planet have no relationship with the God that made them. Hence, we have massive, massive self-image problems. When the apostle Peter <clears throat> promised Jesus that he would never leave him when it was coming towards the closing hours of Christ's life, as you know, and Peter said to Jesus when he spoke of what would happen to him in the closing hours of his life, Peter said, I will never 
leave you. You can rely on me. You can count on me. Others had left him by then, and no doubt others he knew were also destined to leave him. But Peter, unsolicited, said to him, I will not leave you. You can count on me. It's interesting that when he said that to Jesus, Jesus knew full well that he would leave him. In fact, Jesus said to him, not only will you deny me today, you'll deny me three times. And what happened in that conversation is often what is going on with us all the time in our relationship with God and with each other. Peter, in promising Jesus he would die for him, had a wrong self-image. He believed himself capable of something that he was not capable of. He had an image of himself, and the image that he had of himself was one that was committed, that, was, that had stickability, that could sustain persecution, that could, if necessary, die with Jesus. That was the image Peter had of himself. But Jesus knew that Peter wasn't there yet. He knew that one day he would be there, but at this moment of him saying what he was saying, promising what he was promising, he was not able to follow through yet. Because his self-image was not yet established, and all of us in this room are between images. You have an image of yourself that you would like to be, or that you maybe think you are, and you have the image of self that you actually are. And at any given time in our walk with God and our relationship with each other, <clears throat> we are often caught between the desire to be the person that we would like to be and wish we were, and often we speak as if we are that person, and the person we actually are that keeps falling short of the image we wish we were. It is not wrong to aspire to be that person, but God knows, often we don't, God knows that we're not there yet. And it's grace that holds you between images. When we promise something to someone that's beyond our ability to commit to or to walk in, it's not just that we let someone down. We actually have an image of ourselves that's currently inaccurate. And that doesn't get fixed by promising more of the stuff that we can't fulfill anyway. That doesn't get fixed by trying harder and trying to be better. We are between images. We are going, as the Bible says, from glory to glory, from faith to faith. We are, we are in this transformational relationship with God where this is who we are now, this is who we're aspiring to be, and that this gap in the middle and the gap is very painful and the gap is where graceless people who have no tolerance for your growth in between will go to work on you so we project another image of ourselves that we would like to be but currently is beyond us it's not that people don't mean it when they do that it's just that we don't realize that we are not that person yet so when you promise I'll be there and I'll do that and I'll show up on time and you can count on me and then you blob and you don't show up when you're rotated to be on duty in a volunteer capacity for instance. It's not that you don't mean it or that you're not sincere. It's that you are wanting to come across as capable of something you're clearly not yet. What we have to do on the receiving end of that because that was once every one of us and is all of us in some expression of life or another. You may be very punctual so that may not be your, your, your self-image shortfall. But maybe there's other things that you fall short in in terms of your over-promising things in the image you wish you were that we all have to live with and put up with. But grace is what covers the gap between where you are and where you'd like to be and works with us in the meantime. 
Grace fills the gap. Grace defends us and protects us and filters the attacks against us that will come as people don't understand what I'm describing to you today. Out of today, at least I want you to have more tolerance for people that are between images. Out of today, I want you to realize that, that your heart is right, your heart is good, that you're wanting to be that person that can be relied on or that person, whatever you're projecting. But right now, it may not be where you are and God specializes in that in-between area as he did with Peter to get you where you want to be. It is people that despise that process like Joseph's brothers or David's brothers that could see that they were aspiring to something that was beyond where they were currently at and therefore hated them and became bitter towards them because Joseph and David and others aspired to things that currently they were not capable of explaining or of walking in or of demonstrating well, but they had an image of themselves. That image of themselves, of the person they were going to be, came from God. The fact that they weren't that yet is where they needed grace, and we need grace for each other to allow each other the room to move from one image that we are at to the place we aspire to be. In the meantime, we're going to overpromise and underdeliver. All of us are. If we overpromise and underdeliver on purpose and we are planning not to be reliable and Peter wasn't, Peter totally meant that he would stick with Jesus no matter what happened. He meant it and Jesus knew he meant it. But he knew he was not capable of it. He was not there yet in his image, in his self-image. When Jesus said to him, you are Simon, <clears throat> when he first met him, you'll be Peter, he is, he is describing the two bookends of Peter's life. He's saying, this is your image now, you are Simon, which means unstable, unreliable, fluctuating, breakable, fragile, but you're going to be Peter meant rock-like, stable, reliable, we can count on you, I can build my church on you, I can't say it here yet, we can't do it yet, but you are this, you are going to be that, and in between is going to be this journey we're going to have together, all of us where others are not going to understand what I just said to you, where others are not going to have any patience for you and are going to judge you on any given day, take a picture of your life and say, well, that's tough because that's you and I can't do with that anymore. But they're not going to understand and you're going to hear what I said to you today. Don't forget I said it to you. You are Simon. I'm cool with that. I understand that. You came to me as you are. But if you work with me, if you'll walk with me, you're going to find another image that is growing inside you that is the image God intended you to have for your life before you die. And we can best describe that image not as unstable and weak and fragile, but as rock-like and stable and reliable. And Peter could maybe hardly believe, or Simon as he was then, could maybe hardly believe or understand what it was Jesus was saying. And we look at Peter's life and we think often he was so flaky and so impetuous and so leapt in without thinking. But that, that was the Simon part of him. Even to the last moments of Jesus' life, and after Jesus went, we still look at Peter's life and think, well, how unstable could you be when he had this issue towards Gentiles and, and his heart wasn't right about all that, but God loved him and stayed with him and believed in him, knowing that the, the Simon to Peter journey will be more than the three years you have with me. It's going to be a lifetime. And we don't know a lot about the last days of Peter's life, but what we do know is enough in the book of Acts and enough in Peter's letters that he wrote to know that he moved way beyond the unstable, unreliable Simon 
And he walked for years and years and decades of his life in this image that Jesus had of him from day one of stable, reliable, rock-like Peter that became one of the pillars of the early church. And so much we're still learning from Peter's life and Peter's writings that Simon would never have been capable of. But the fact that Jesus said we're going to have a gap, we're going to have an image gap, we're going to have a two-people gap, and in that gap I am going to be there working for you praying for you, standing by you, because the Bible says when Peter denied him three times, on the third time that the cockerel crowed, it says Jesus turned and looked at Peter somehow, got eye contact with him through the crowd to let him know, this is what I told you you'd do, don't freak out, don't panic, don't quit, hang in there, I'm praying for you, others will judge you, others will label you, others will count you never again to be useful to God. But I am praying for you because I know that you are being sifted, that the devil's sifting you. He is trying to find some ground in you to keep you as Simon, to nail you with guilt and shame about the Simon image. But in you is this rock, this person that's going to become a stabilizing factor in the church that's yet to be born, that will be riddled with persecution and attack. And in the midst of it, you will stand like a giant with strength that will give stability to all around you, and for generations to come that read that about you, Jesus looks at you now. And he says, you are Simon, you will be Peter. You are this person, but you are going to be that person. And in between, I am going to be the only one often, and that's so true, I'm going to be the only one that gets you, understands you, believes in you, is praying for you, is holding you. It's not your grip on God today that's the issue. It's God's grip on you that counts. You say, well, you know, I've really got a grip on God. Well, Peter thought he had, and then he denied him three times. It's never about your grip on God. The Bible says if you are faithless, he remains faithful. It's never been about your grip on God that's, that's kept you in the race. It's God's grip on you that he said, I'll never let you go. And there are many times we let him go, but we wonder why are we still here? That's why backsliders have a hard time because they decide to walk away from God and then it seems that they have more God in their life after they leave the church than before. And keep bumping into Christians and bumping into things of God because it's, it's, it's Him that won't let you go. He'll never leave you, never forsake you, though we will forsake and leave Him just as Peter did. But grace holds you in the meantime. And it sounds great. You are unstable. You are Simon. You will be rock-like. You will be the Peter that we all have come to love and rely on and read from and understand. That's okay until you're the victim of someone's transition. That's okay until you're in the fallout of between images. Between images would be fine if you kept it to yourself. But between images that's expressed in those around us is awkward for those that are in the fallout of the journey that I'm in going from Simon to Peter, going from unstable, unreliable, uncommitted, flaky to strong, reliable, consistent, committed. That, that in-between zone where we all do life together is where I believe grace has its greatest expression. It's easy to have grace for some dirty, rotten sinner that comes off the streets today, we all would feel well, that's what grace is for. But we then have no grace for the persons that we do life with. We'd have all the grace in the world for a, a stranger that comes to Christ and then we have no tolerance for the people we do life with 
that are, that are mid-image. Because you that have no grace are also mid-image. And so if we all treated you like you treat us, we'd be at war. And so we have, we have sectioned grace, we have limited grace to the obvious and to the grace cases that really need us to be tolerant and we have not seen that this lack of tolerance, the impatience and the anxiety and the, angry, the, the, the anger and the frustration that we have with each other is something to do with this allowance that we need to extend to each other. Because when Peter denied Jesus, you don't get any lower than that in terms of your in-between period, in terms of your between images. It's, and, and bless him, Peter, I mean, your denial of Christ wouldn't necessarily be written in the Bible for thousands of years for people to read. Peter's denial's in there. And so it's there for us to learn from. You know, lots of people denied Jesus and betrayed Jesus. Lots of them. Hundreds, possibly thousands of them. We know that many of them left him in John 6 when he talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And they freaked out thinking he was advocating some kind of cannibalism. And, and they left him. He says many that had followed him left him. We don't know how many that was. Could have been hundreds. But certainly in the closing hours of his life, every single one of them, every disciple, not just Peter, every one of them abandoned him and betrayed him. So we have lots of people that left Jesus, but we only have two people's stories. We only have Peter and Judas. And the reason we only have two and not hundreds is that within these two men's stories is everything we need to learn about grace. And about self-image. But to learn from Peter and to learn from Judas, you have to be a student of grace, not a student of betrayal. If you try to study Judas to understand betrayal, it is a worthless study. But if you'll study Judas and Peter from a point of view as I'm going to be a student and I'm going to find, I'm looking for grace in this story, then you'll come away with an understanding of what was going on in this season of Jesus' life, more than you will if you're trying to understand denial or betrayal. John 2.24 says, Jesus would not entrust himself to men, for he knew what was in them. It didn't mean that he didn't trust them in a cynical, skeptical, imbalanced, kind of reactive way. That Jesus was every day living offended at how flaky people were. It meant that he knew people. He understood how people were wired. And he understood that everyone is on a journey. Everyone is between images. And he allowed for that in his guardedness with people and still loved them anyway. So when Peter said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, Jesus knew he would. But Jesus also knew there was a difference between Peter and Judas. He knew some people leave in a time of intense pressure because they need a temporary exit, outlet, or escape from what they're facing in their life at that time. And that was Peter. Others leave for good. Peter denied him for survival. Judas betrayed him for personal gain. Those two things look the same on the surface to the people that are watching. But there were two very different things going on inside these two men. Two very different places they were at in their self-image that made them do what they did. And if you can't tell the difference between, between Peter and Judas between one who denies for survival and needs an off-ramp and needs some alleviation from the pressure cooker that he was in, 
The off-ramp is a temporary exit, but it's going to rejoin the motorway in a few miles. That's what Peter did. If you can tell the difference between a denial of Peter that's doing it for survival, and Jesus knew that and allowed for that, and knows that sometimes people need that, and has grace for them in that season out, and betrayal, then you will lose Peter because you keep treating Peter like Judas. Because they both look the same. And over the years, of we've seen people come and go in the life of the church here. We've so had to learn this, that people, people leave and people walk away and people need space in all kinds of relationships for all kinds of reasons. But if you have a one-size-fits-all mentality towards them, we have no allowance for this transition of image that is going on in people's hearts, in people's lives, that, that Jesus allowed for. And when Peter denied him, it didn't shake Jesus, it didn't destabilize him because he knew that this is all part of coming from Simon to Peter. This denial is all part of it. In fact, the denial was part of Peter's destiny to discover something stable in himself that, didn't, that the denial led him into an understanding and a discovery of. Peter had a moment of weakness. Judas was a betrayer from the start. Some leavings are a time out. Some leavings are a checkout. And they're never going to be back. But they both look the same on the surface. But grace knows the difference. And grace can tell the difference. And grace deals with each person differently. Because to one, to one you say, I am praying for you. And to another you say, go and do it quickly. To one you hold the person. Because you know that in this transition of image. They're going from Simon to Peter. And so you hold them knowing that they're going to come good. And that what they're going to bring back next time is going to be greater and stronger. And more useful to you and to the relationship and to the kingdom of God. To another you say, I know this is not an exit. This is not a timeout. It is a permanent checkout. And so to that person you say, go and do it quickly because I know you'll never be back. Some, some doors are like a revolving door. and Some doors are like a fire door. They shut behind you. Some doors are like when you get in and you're absent from the room you left for a while. And then as you stay in that revolving door, you reappear a few weeks or months later. And you checked out for a while and to all intents and purposes, you look no different to the one that would never come back. But you just went somewhere for a while. You went walkabout as they call it in Australia. Many Christians go on walkabout. And I, for years, as many of you know, used to say in our church here, if you left like a prodigal, as it were, if you went walkabout, if you, if you took an off-ramp, then you need to know that the door is open and the welcome mat is out and you can come back anytime. Because to some people you say, we love you, we're praying for you because we know you'll be back. And the time out was a time for you to discover that you're moving from this person to this person. And like the prodigal son, most people come back different and better and stronger, at least realizing I'm better off in the father's house than I was in my own house. I'm better off with God's people than I was, than I was without them. At least, at least you'd come back discovering that. At least that would be settled. At least that would be movement towards the image of the person you're aspiring to become. So one you hold in your heart and one you let go. And grace allows you to know the difference 
between the two. Naomi told both of those girls, you should leave me and not hang around and waste your youth with me. You should go and express what's in you in your life with a new man that you will marry or whatever. I can't do anything for you. And one left and one held with her. But the issue is she begged neither of them to stay with her. She released both of them knowing that, that whatever's going on in their life, whatever image they are in and aspiring to, she had to have a grace to release them to go and find themselves if it wasn't going to be attached to her. And years ago in our church, and many of you have come from those contexts, we held on to people so strongly that we never allowed for this space and room to find themselves. That we held people so tightly that, that I don't believe people ever had time to discover did they want to be involved because they wanted to be or because we made them feel bad for not being. I think doing life with people with your hands wide open so that people feel that if we are here, you're here because you want to be rather than because we are making you, we're forcing you, we're manipulating you, we're projecting guilt and fear on you of what will happen if you leave us. But to do life that's releasing and freeing is the highest level of life and relationship I believe you can build. And God is like that with us all, but we're often not like that with each other. Because we have this image that people will leave us and forsake us and abandon us. And we have, this, we have this leave me syndrome. We have this desertion fear. And when Jesus said, if you want to go, you can go. And if you can't stay with me, then I release you. That, that releasing is part of God's self-image that you're created in. Every one of us is created to be a releasing person. Because God is a releasing person. He is not a holding on person. So if you are a holding on, clinging on person to reluctant people that maybe need time out from your life or maybe need to be gone altogether from your life, then that is not an image of God. It is what you've gathered over the life experience you've had that has made you a, a grasping, insecure person. But it is not part of the image of God that I understand from Scripture. Beware people that leave you in what they believe is a strategic time. People leave at a time when they think they'll hurt you the most and choose that. That's the time I'll leave you and forsake you, as they did with Jesus, as they did with the Apostle Paul. People that leave at strategic times believe that by doing that, they'll do you the most injury. But if you've already built your life as a releasing person, as a person that's not dependent on a person staying for your identity and your self-image to be intact, then you can say, well, there's the door. I gladly release you. Because my dependence is not on you. My identity is not attached to you. My security is not in your comings and goings. It is in God and God alone. And I have found that. And once you find that, then you become much more at ease and gracious towards people that we cling on to for our own identity. And we make them essential to our self-image. And your self-image is not found in other people. It's found in your relationship with God and God alone. But we are so in touch with people more than we are with God that we are confused. We've confused people for God. So we look to people more than we look to God and we define more by people and people's opinions and people's attitudes towards us and people's definitions of us and the photographs they take of us and the treatment they have towards us. We're more defined by that than we are by God and His attitude and His mindset and His grace towards us. This story of Peter and Judas also proves Something else amazing, it proves that 
Good people can do wrong things. And bad people can do right things. Because Judas, who betrayed him and was a betrayer from the beginning, did a lot of good things. He laid hands on the sick and saw them recover. He cast out demons. He led people into a relationship with Jesus. He helped as part of Jesus' team. But he was a betrayer from the beginning, but he did a lot of good things. And Peter was a good man from the beginning. He was not a betrayer. But he was capable of doing wrong things. And denying him was a wrong thing. But it didn't mean his heart was wrong. Jesus said, A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear bad fruit. And the key to understanding that verse is the word bear. Because bear means to continually produce. And what he's saying is that a bad person can't continually produce good, but a bad person can do a good thing. And a good person can't continually produce bad, but a good person can do a wrong thing. But we have not allowed for that. But in this, in this, in this development of your image from where you are to where you want to be, and that gap in between, God understands that about people. That we judge people on one given action, one given day, and God says it's a bearing issue. It's what you bear across your life that is identifying you. Not on a given day or the attitude you might have had, what you said that you wish you hadn't said. That doesn't define you no more than that denial did for Peter. This gets very forensic, and I'll get into this more with you next week. This, this, gets very forensic, this self-image thing gets very forensic. Because I want, I want to next week do with you some personality profiling. Because your self-image is not just, you know, I have power, like I mentioned earlier, I have presence, I have knowledge, uh, I can be transcendent in my mind of past, it's not just those communicable attributes of God, I think we can all get that big picture. But I want to get more forensic next week and say, your being created in the image of God is as forensic and as unique and as best spoke as the personality he destined you to have. That is where grace really kicks in. That I allow you to be you because you are so different to me. And if we can't allow for difference and celebrate difference, we will build churches filled with the same kinds of people as us and it will be dead, dull and boring. It will be safe but it'll be boring. And I don't want us to build lives either where we just grin and bear it and tolerate difference. If you can see that, that, that your personality was as much, is as much an expression of, of God's image for you, that's how he created you to be, as mine is for me, and we can both rejoice in that and allow for that and love that, then there is no limit to the level of which we can build life and team and church and interact with our community. We did have a church where we did not celebrate anybody different to us. Anybody that came in even with a tattoo. Or with a different hairstyle or dress sense. Or lived in a certain part of town. Or were obviously not kind of looked the part were made to feel unwelcome in this church. This was not many years ago. And I visit churches now all around the world where I get the sense that that is still a big part of what that congregation 
has to beat. I know that because some things I say in some places around the world, I can feel the discomfort ripple go across the room as I say it. When they feel comfortable with the thought that it ends there. But I realized that if that was to become the culture of that church and they were to actively go out and look for the kind of people I often describe that changed our church and changed us because it's not just we're going to change the city, the city is changing us. Every person that comes into our church and, and we allow to be themselves is going to affect us. The least they're going to do is make us be more patient. The least they'll do is make us be more tolerant or make us be more angry. And often people that visit and come into churches like ours and around the world that don't fit, that don't fit, they don't stick around because they don't feel they fit. But, but what's happening there isn't that they didn't fit so they left, it's that the church are not educated in, in this whole issue of we're all created in the image of God and that's down to the forensic, how God made Jock and all Jock's quirks and idiosyncrasies and uniqueness and, and oddities and normalities or all the things about Jock that, that you, if you knew Jock deeply you'd come to understand all of that about him and, and that doesn't mean that you know he is perfect or Matt's perfect or any of us that we're not in this image journey but essentially the primary leanings of him as a person and how God made him it is there and I have wrestled for years in this church to allow space for jocks to be jocks. For you to be you. Maybe that will be my legacy to this church or to the church on the planet. The liberation of the human heart. The liberation of you. The essential self. Instead of the social self. Being who you become through life. Letting you be you. I've got to tell you, and I've got to finish, but I've got to tell you, it still consistently freaks people out. I don't, I don't know why. Well, I do know why, but I just think things are getting better by themselves, and they're not. When I teach this thing around the world, I, I, get, I get this sense of either people do not have a clue what I'm talking about. Like, what is that? You know, is, is this Bible? Is this spiritual? Is this scriptural? Is, is this like, what is this? Is this some psychological presentation? Is this, what is this? Is this some motivational speech? What is this? Give me some Bible. And don't think this is anything to do with God's will for your life or how God made you as a person. And, and look like they're tolerating it until you, you know, can we get some Bible in a minute? And yet I've met thousands of believers all around the world that have got the Bible coming out their ears and don't have a clue who they are as a person. And a wooden, and a narrow, and a boring and beige, but they know the Bible. Well, what about the person God made you to be? Well, I know who I am in Christ. No, you don't. To know the verses about who you are in Christ doesn't mean you know who you are. And maybe you're scared of being who you are, because it can be scary in a place where there's low tolerance for you to be who you are. Maybe it's scary for you to be who you are. And, and we've battled to create an environment where it's okay for you to be you. I remember not long ago meeting a couple that are visiting here for the first time, a second or third time. And I said, well, uh, how long have you been coming? They said, we've been three times. I said, oh, well, where you come from? They came from miles away. 
Someone in the Lake District somewhere. Drove here every Sunday. I said, well, why do you come all this way? There must be churches near where you are. They said, well, there are, but you know, we heard about this church and you know, we've been going to a local church where we are, but our son recently, and he must have been about 13, he was there with them. Our son has taken to uh, doing his hair in a kind of um, a mohawk style. And we took him to the barbers and he shaved the sides of his head and he had this mohawk down the middle of his head. And she said, ever since he did that and we go to our local church, he's had a lot of problems. With the parents saying things to us about him or other people in the church saying little things to him about his hair and what's going on for him. It's like they're just, you know, it's the only mohawk in the village. And it's become a talking point and a pressure point. And the little boy feels so self-conscious. She said, but we brought into this church because we heard about your youth and so on and saw some stuff on TV. We brought into this church and no one notices him. He just fits right in. He just fits in with all the other weirdos in this church here. And I thought, that's probably the greatest compliment you could pay us. Little does she know how much I fought for that in the life of the church here so that a mohawk was not a big deal. Now some of you are going to go and push the margin, I know, this week and come back next week with something weird and wonderful. But, and if it, I'll tell you what, if it's you, if it's who you are, then you need to go and get that out of your system and be who God made you to be. But if wearing a suit and a tie is not you, but it's who your parents want you to be, then the quicker you get out of that suit and tie and get your flip-flops and shorts on, the better. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's that that's part of this thing. That's as much a part of this issue on image, and we'll get to that next week. Well, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial. And uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all, but I would love it if you would take the time to write a review or comment, and above all, maybe subscribe to my podcast channel. Thank you.